Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze the heck out of the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing something I could never have, just like my last ex. (laughs) 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 Which is the 17th episode of season two, which was... Written by Mike Hero and David Strauss, directed by Paul Johansson, who was he? I don't know her. <laughs> and originally aired on the WB on April 19th, 2005. Did you watch the audio commentary that Paul Johansson delivered for this episode? I did, and I really enjoyed it, actually. He he just seems like such a warm, warm guy, which is a complete contrast to who Dan Scott is. I know, and that's what all the cast members say about him. Like, that's all you ever hear is really positive things about him being the nicest guy there is. And, and Dan is just, wow. Like, the complete opposite. Exactly. Like, honestly, like, every time I hear Paul talk, I just want to give him a fucking hug, you know? Same. But, yeah, he, he, he uh, introduced a lot of, like, little interesting little tidbits for the commentary for this episode. One of the things being that he had a huge cold sore on his lip. That they had <laughs> that to was so funny. <laughs> digitally removed. <laughs> and I was looking really, really closely, and I could see, like, it kind of looked blurred. Like, it was... It oh, just so looked... you clocked it. I wasn't able to clock it. <laughs> like, yeah, where it was. I, I could see that it definitely looked altered. I mean, I didn't notice it before he said that, but after he said that. You're going to have to send that screen grab. Post it on our Discord, like a screen grab, and just, like, circle the little area with that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I'm sure people want to see that, you know? They obviously know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a uh, shame, though, that he was so stressed that he had got a cold sore. <laughs> stress from directing the episode or whatever oh that's uh, that's right that's right it was because it was uh mm-hmm. it was because of stress that's right but yeah i imagine that's got to be difficult to act and direct and think about all these like moving pieces and whatnot and he said yeah he was the first actor on on the show to direct an episode so that's really cool yeah wasn't there one part too where he said that he was basically going to be the what's the word for it like, if he did a bad job, he wouldn't be allowed to, or, like, no other actor would be allowed to direct another episode after yeah, that. Yeah, Thankfully, he did do a good job, because, spoiler alert, a lot of actors direct episodes of this series, mm-hmm. like, between now and season nine. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to see those. I never really feel like I looked at them with a critical lens, either, like, think, like, oh, this is the episode that blah, 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 blah directed. You know? I know. Well, I remember, like, in the moment, like, when those episodes are going to air, I remember it kind of was a big deal that they were directing them. Yeah. But, yeah, I never looked at them with a critical eye either, so I'm excited to do that. I don't think I ever realized how tough directing is, like, how much work yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It's because we're older and we're wiser now, yes, Caitlin. Yes, we are. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> uh, but anyway, shall we talk about this amazing piece of Paul's work? What? That was me trying to transition to the... <laughs> to you saying that always and forever is spoiler free. Right. Then stay tuned after the credits <laughs> for a fully spoiled discussion. Yes, let's move on and talk about this episode. I'm really excited. <laughs> anyway, somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. 
Jackie tells Jake and Peyton that there was a court hearing, and since Jake didn't show, she gets full custody. So Anzi kindly volunteers to hire a lawyer for Jake. Lucas tells Karen that the real reason he moved in with Dan was because he wanted to protect Keith. Lucas apologizes for how everything went down and convinces Karen that he should continue to stay with Dan in order to bring him down once and for all. Keith briefly returns and finds out from Karen and Lucas that Dan hired Jules to fall in love with him. Keith confronts Dan about it, and Dan confesses that it's true. Keith punches Dan, breaks his office window, and threatens that he has everything left to lose. So Dan better watch out. Keith leaves Tree Hill to go on a search for Jules in order to figure out the truth. Lucas spies on Dan and sees him secretly putting something in the ceiling of his office. Upset about moving to California, Brooke gets the idea that she could live with Peyton. However, her parents say no because she would have no parental supervision. Really? <laughs> Come on now, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. Later on, Lucas surprises Brooke with a room behind a red door at his house. Karen and Brooke's parents agreed to let her stay there until the summer. Anna finds evidence of red paint in her garage and concludes that Felix was the one who wrote the homophobic slur on Peyton's locker. When she confronts Felix about it, he says he didn't want the attention on her, like at their last school, and decided to put it on Peyton instead. Anna tells Peyton and Principal Turner about the locker, and Felix gets expelled. Peyton also tells Brooke, and she immediately breaks up with Felix. Yes! Hell yeah! Later, Anna comes out to Felix, and he turns away from her. As punishment for his actions, Felix's parents send him to military school. Nathan goes on a road trip to see Haley on tour, and along the way, he recalls happy memories of their relationship. When he gets to Haley, he tells her he loves her, and that he's not giving up on their marriage. And Haley responds by saying she loves him too, but she thinks they rushed into things. Just the girl behind the red door, I'm Caitlin Elenich. And wondering what she'd do around here without cute boys or good parties. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. Can we chat a little bit about that line and that particular actress? Let's go for it. Because I am back with some trivia, okay? So, I don't know if you remember this little show on the WB that aired during the hiatus between episode 16 and episode 17 of this season. It was a show called The Starlets. Do you remember that show, Caitlin? I never saw that. So, it is a series where 10 young up-and-coming actresses live together in a home formerly owned by Marilyn Monroe while competing in a series of challenges for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This included a career-launching role on the WB's hit drama One Tree Hill, a one-year management contract with three arts entertainment, and an overall talent deal with the WB. So the the actress who won that competition was Michelin McGuire, who is the girl who moves into Brooke's old house. That's really cool. It is a little bit cool, but it's also kind of sad because I feel like uh, she went into the show thinking that this will be a career launching role for her. But let me tell you, um, the last time we saw her was in a movie in twenty from 2012 called The Olivia Experiment. And then before that, she was in a short film called Danny and Wayne in 2011. I don't believe she has acted since then. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but, like, I don't know, it just, it, it just kind of makes you think, like, did they plan to use this character? Because this character was moving into Brooke's house, which means she would probably go to Tree Hill High. It sounds like they were just giving her a, like, a guest starring role. And really, really, 
wasn't even like that much of a guest star role. It was just yeah, this one it was scene. a cameo. That, yeah. That's really all it was. But it just makes you wonder if like were they at least hoping to maybe use her. Yeah, I don't have the answer to that question. But obviously they didn't. <laughs> they didn't ask her to come back. No. So it's it, it's a bit of a shame, but whatever. Sorry, Michelle McGuire, but. I feel like Sophia Bush is the one who really owns that scene when she responds by saying, like, well, well, we have a nightly banjo duel, and then there's the cousin swap, and then on Friday nights, we all have bands together. Like, Sophia Bush ate up the scenery, I feel like, so let's just blame Sophia Bush. <laughs> Sophia Bush is the reason why Michelle McGuire is not a bigger star now. Let's not blame Sophia. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just pitting women against each other because, you know, that's what we like to do around here. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I guess it was just meant to be a little scene. That's my impression. Yeah. I don't think they would have added another character just in the same episode that they were getting rid of another character. (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe not for season two, but I feel like maybe for like the following season or something like that. Like maybe she could have been. Hmm. I'll save my thought on that for the spoiler segment. Remind me because I will probably forget. Okay. I will remind you. Okay, cool. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about this damn episode. This episode is titled after a song by Nine Inch Nails called Something I Can Never Have. And what did you think? I think the song is basically, I mean, you could see all the lyrics relate to Nathan and this internal struggle that he's dealing with in losing Haley and wanting to get her back and needing her. I mean, you could go through basically every stanza and find something that relates to it. Yeah, for sure. Like the very beginning, I still recall the taste of your tears echoing your voice just like the ringing in my ears. He's constantly thinking of Haley. Everything is a reminder of her. Yeah, and that's what's happened on this episode too. Like he's like reflected on his past relationship, like all the happy memories. And he's he's yearning for like what could have been, but it's something that he can never have. And even later in the song, it says, you always were the one to show me how. Back then, I couldn't do the things that I can do now. Like, that screams Nathan. (laughs) You know, Haley changed him. She was a big part of that. It's really sad. I like the song, though. I did, too. And we have (laughs) another voiceover quote at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) Yes. What what was the quote, Caitlin? (laughs) So it's a Charles Bukowski quote. There will always be something to ruin our lives. It all depends on what or which finds us first. You're always ripe and ready to be taken. Can I be honest? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I like honesty. I kind of think it's a dumb quote. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Why is that? I get what it's saying. I don't have like any like backstory about this quote. I couldn't figure out where it came from exactly. Other than like the poet himself. Okay. Um, but basically it's saying like anything can happen to you at any moment. And it's it seems really like kind of dramatic or tragic to say it, but there always can be something to ruin your life or like to make yeah. to cause some kind of conflict in your life. I think this quote was just used as an excuse to show like, oh look, like something bad can happen to you at any time, and then here's Nikki. And that's literally the only yeah, I know. reason yeah. for use of Like, it's not a very hopeful quote. I mean, I think it's kind of dark, actually, especially to open up this episode. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder if, like, if it would have been more appropriate to be used in the previous episode, because if you think about it, that is kind of the 
that is kind of like the mission of the previous episode. Like everybody's always so happy, and then like something out of nowhere like comes in and ruins it. Yeah, you're you right. Know? Much better than the the sail sailboat metaphor or whatever it was because <laughs> I, I feel like if you think about it, say like if you watched a previous episode like jake and pate were so happy throughout the entire thing and then at the end nikki comes in and that completely ruins that happiness you know yep. whereas i feel like it's kind of like the use of this quote is kind of weak here i guess you could say i know and we keep coming back to this like the more we dig into these quotes i don't know i don't like them too much not all of them but like recently they've just been really eh. pretentious Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the best way to describe it i think yeah i think that's probably the best way to describe it season one they were pretty strong i think yeah i I feel like they were stronger in season one like the more recent ones in season two have just been kind of like why why this quote you know yeah you kind of question it but well can't win them all because the song this this episode was really uh, spot on and the the right. just doesn't work really. <laughs> and then normally for our songs, we're like, uh, it's just the title, the title works, that's it, that's it, you know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Nikki is back. Can we talk about this for a second? Like we can talk about it for what? several minutes, Caitlin. <laughs> like that's what we're here for. <laughs> because I just don't understand how she explains all of this custody stuff. She clearly went to Seattle, but why would there have been a custody hearing in Seattle? I didn't gather there was a custody hearing in Seattle. I gathered that it was in Tree Hill. I don't know. I I don't think it was very realistic of how that went down. Like, Jake is the one who has, like, he's the one taking care of Jenny and has been. So how can Nikki just call a custody hearing and Jake not know about it? I don't get it. Do you think Jake just didn't know about it? Because I almost wonder if Jake blatantly didn't show up. That's actually a bullet point I have. Like, why didn't Jake show up? Yeah, and that, that we don't really have the answer to that. He doesn't admit to that in the episode that he decided not to show. Yeah, it's interesting that you took it that way. Like, did he not know about it? I'm like, I think he did know about it. Maybe he just didn't show up. No, I, I, that's a big deal, not showing up to that. Like, you wouldn't purposely do that unless you really yeah. don't have custody of your kid, and Jake clearly does. Yeah, he does. But, like, I don't know. It just seems like he's really he's really set on making Nikki into the villain here, which, like, I, I get. Like, okay, in the grand scheme of things, the only thing that Nikki did to Jenny is just not be there. She then came yeah. back and made it clear that she wanted to be in her daughter's life and she was trying to make a change. Why couldn't Jake, like, just given her, like, some supervised, like, he could have been there and she could have been with Jenny. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there could have been some middle ground that they could have gotten to before things, like, exploded. Yeah. And there were all these lies and misleading um, Nikki to go to Seattle. I mean, you're not meant to like Nikki, but, like, I kind of get where she's coming from. I'm exactly. More in this rewatch than I've ever, like, thought about it before. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about, like, you know, some, like, logistical things, too. Like, the fact that Jake ran away with Jenny. And what was he planning to do? Was he just planning on being on the run with Jenny for 18 years like that? 
that's not really fair for Jenny. That's not a healthy life for Jenny either. Like, let's be honest about that. And you can get in real trouble for doing that. Exactly. Like, I, I do understand that Nikki, like, she hasn't been there. She didn't want to be there. And it was months. I, I don't know exactly the time frame. So I, I understand that. And that should count for something. But I feel like they they need to go to court and get this figured out. It's beyond what they can figure out on their own. Because they had an opportunity. They could have tried to figure it out on their own, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm normally all about saying, screw the system, do your own thing. But I feel like for something like this, where like another child is involved, where like Jenny's life is in danger. Because Jenny's life was in danger by being on the run constantly. Like, how can... Like, how could Jake give Jenny a stable home life if they're always on the run? Like, what are they? Like, what was he gonna do? Change her name and then like put her put her in a school that? I just don't see like what his plan was. Like, what is his grand scheme at the end of the day? I know, because I don't think he really has a clear plan. And where are mm-hmm. his parents in all of this? You know, like there needs to be <laughs> some kind of guidance. He can't just be figuring all of this out on his own. Right. Exactly. Like, there needs to be some kind of mentor. <laughs> right. Know? Like, it's crazy. And also, too, like, how, uh, you know how Nikki showed up and just said, hand Jenny over. And I'm like, if this was real life, like, there would actually be, like, court-appointed people coming to the house. <laughs> yeah, you can't just do that yourself. Like, he needs to have some kind of notice. That's why it's so unrealistic to me how... This how it was explained and how she just showed up and expected to take Jenny. Right. And then look, here we are. Jake obviously can't afford a lawyer or a good lawyer, you know, to yeah. to help him. And and it was nice that Andy like stepped in because Andy sure didn't have to do that. But I guess he has spare money. Um, right. I mean, all of his all of I don't want to blame Jake either, but a lot of his actions kind of led to this. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, uh, like, going to the scene where Nikki confronts Peyton at the school, and, like, Peyton tries to say, like, you don't even care about Jenny, okay? You're just doing this to get back and shake. And I'm like, Peyton, how do you know that? Granted, like, Nikki's response where she says, like, you know, only someone without a mother can think that. Like, okay, that's not a good response. Like, just, Nikki, just stop. (laughs) Like, you're terrible for saying that. But I feel like Peyton's being very, uh presumptuous by thinking that like you're just doing this to get back and shake like who are you to say that honestly i know because nikki's young too and she just didn't really know what she wanted yeah she made a stupid mistake where like she left her kid behind okay but it's not like years have gone by jenny is still really young and i think nikki deserves a chance to be in her life yeah i feel like it's like the way that she presents herself like she she presents herself as a villainous vixen she presents herself in like this very like hypersexualized way and i feel like the show could be making a statement on that so yeah but say like oh look at her she is a hypersexual woman she is obviously evil but let's also think about the fact like she yeah okay yeah she's hypersexual but she also is a woman who just wants her daughter back you know i know she she's portrayed that way and they've also had her do some shady things like showing up the mall showing up at the mall and taking jenny when peyton and brooke looked away yeah she's not perfect (laughs) by any means they have made her into a certain type of character (laughs) that isn't really trustworthy 
that's what you're supposed to feel towards her character, whether mm-hmm. that's right or wrong, but that's what you're meant to feel. Yeah. They're definitely, I think, making a statement on this. Also, like, one of the lines that really stood out to me, Nikki says that she is tired of these games. It's such, like, a quick line, but I feel like it just shows, like, she, she's she's sick and tired of this. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm surprisingly not liking Jake very much right now. I know, and I've never, like, had these feelings before when rewatching this. Because mm-hmm. I've never really, like, gave it a lot of thought, but putting all of the pieces together and what they've each done like they need to come to some kind of truce and they both need to show up at court and get this taken care of right yeah so that's really all we we only got a few scenes with jake i mean the the very beginning of the episode and then we have jake with andy volunteering to pay and then later on we see jake with um peyton and he tells her that, like, he's not going to run again. So at least, hopefully that's, we'll see what happens, but, uh. Yeah, for sure. And you see Peyton in her bedroom has, like, a little, a little drawing of crying eyes. And there is a, there's a Jake and Jenny in one eye. And then there's Brooke in the mm-hmm. other eye. And they're both on tears. But speaking of Brooke being in the one eye, do you want to talk about Brooke and her big move? Where the winner of the Starlet is moving into her house. <laughs> I love that she um, had the idea to move in with Peyton. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. And the fact that her parents say no to it because she won't have parental supervision is like, do they understand how hypocritical that is? <laughs> like, do <laughs> they bit, really yeah. realize that? And this is like <laughs> the moment where I want to meet Brooke's parents. There's such an absence here that we don't know mm-hmm. Brooke's parents at all. I don't think we've yep. talked about that before. Obviously, they're never around, and when they are around, they're making, like, these questionable decisions. <laughs> like, just let her finish out the year. Yeah, finish out the year. At least, you know, I just feel like that's a responsible thing to do, so just, like, let your kid finish out the school year. Exactly. And then, you know, and then maybe figure out, like, what to do after that, you know? I know. Uh, like, what you do? Like, just send your kids to, like, a completely different school for, like, what? Like, the last month? Yeah, and, like, I, we shouldn't even get into this part, but, like, the time frame here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How long is she really going to be staying behind? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know exactly how many months this season is supposed to take place in. <laughs> Are we really going to get into another discussion We're not going to get into another discussion about that, but I'm, like, I'm thinking... so. Finally, it's decided that she's going to stay with Lucas, but I'm really wondering of, like, how long that actually will be. It could be a few days. It could be a few weeks. I mean, it's several more episodes, obviously, but... We have five more episodes after this, but who knows? That could be a few days. That could be a few weeks. That could be, like, several months, Caitlin. Like, who knows? Yeah. It could be several years. We just... (laughs) We just don't know. It's whatever's convenient for the plot. (laughs) But I just loved how Lucas surprised her. I love that too. I like the scene where he's like, you know, he's he's driving in his car, and then you see the the dollhouse getting brought out, and he's like looking, he's like, hmm. And I feel like it's like a misdirect. I feel like it's supposed to make you think, uh, like, oh, he's just he's just looking at the movers taking everything out, but no, he was the mover. <laughs> I know. I didn't realize that until later on. I'm like, oh, that's why Lucas was driving by the house, and you see mm-hmm. the dollhouse, because the dollhouse ends up in. At Lucas's house, in the room that Brooke will be staying in, behind the red door. 
And like when they're walking to Lucas's house and Brooke's like, what's something you're going to miss about me? And it can't be how much you miss handing out or how hot I am. <laughs> I just thought that was cute. <laughs> and Lucas is like, hmm, neither of those, right? Oh, these two are so cute. Can't deal with them. I miss the girl behind the red door. And then he friends her in. And then there's all of her stuff. And she's like, what the fuck? Those are exact words that she says, right? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) On the WB. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The WB in 2005, they totally would have supported that language. (laughs) And then we get this really cute scene with Karen and Brooke. Yeah. Karen's telling her, like, okay, you're going to have to actually follow some rules here. Because there is parental supervision. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then she just gives him a she gives Karen a hug, and then she's like, just like having a real mom. I know, that's so nice. Because like I know like Brooke likes her freedom, but she also wants to feel like she's being parented <laughs> in some way. Yeah. And, and there's an absence there. Like her parents are very they're distanced from her, and it's a shame. So it was such yeah. a cute moment, like to see her looking up to Karen and like appreciating that. You love to say it because it's something she's not getting at home. And I feel and I'm excited to say what comes after this. Like, what is her relationship with Karen going to be like for these next few weeks, years or months or however long? Uh-huh. She lives in the Scott house, or not the Scott house, the row house, I should say. <laughs> I'm also kind of curious, like, Karen knows that Lucas and Brooke used to date. Now they're going to be living under the same roof. <laughs> well, no, they're not because he's living with uh, he's living with Dan. Oh, so. yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I forgot about that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's still staying. Well, he told Karen yeah, that he's staying. Yeah, because this is Lucas's bedroom here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh my god, how dumb am I? Yeah, well, it's, it's all good. It's all good. I forget shit all the time. I mean, <laughs> he fessed up to Karen and told her why he's staying with Dan. But he also told Karen that, like, okay... I need to keep staying with him in order to beat him. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit, actually. So Lucas says he didn't tell her the truth because he knew she'd tell Keith. And I don't know if that's a very convincing... It's a, it's a lie because it's not just that. It's the HCM medication and everything yeah, like yeah. that. But like, I don't see how that's a really convincing lie. <laughs> you know? I think Keith is right in being upset. And I think Lucas should have told him the truth. I get mm-hmm. from Lucas's perspective, he was trying to to protect Keith. But in reality, like, how was that really protecting him? Yeah. It's so convoluted, all of us, really. And I get it. Like, Jules, like, did fall in love with Keith. It's, like, it's complicated. It's messy. And I don't really think, like, I feel like when you're in the middle of a situation like that, you don't really know what to do, what's the right thing to do. I know. But I- I'm glad that everyone, like... I, I'm glad that everyone knows the truth. Like, Karen knows why Lucas was with Dan. Keith learned the truth, even though it's painful. I'm glad that that everything is kind of revealed and out there, but it's still a really tough situation. For sure. And this whole HCM thing, just to get back to that for a second. Oh, my gosh. It's just like, oh, Karen still doesn't know. and And that's like, I get that Lucas has two reasons of why he's staying with Dan for the medication and then also to like you know spy on him yeah who knows what who knows what else he could be cooking up you know if he did this to his own brother mm-hmm. who knows what could happen you know i have to wonder like what is dan thinking like after all of this went down 
he has to wonder why Lucas would want to be staying with him still. Obviously, Lucas has more of an allegiance to Keith, so that's kind of weird. But the medication, I guess it all comes back to the medication. Yeah, and Lucas did say that to Dan, so Dan's like, okay, yeah, that's totally why, you know? Yeah, but it's still kind of, it's it's still weird. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit about more, more about how uh, Keith learned the truth and everything now? Because there's a few scenes I want to talk about. Yeah, he he just randomly shows up at his place and overhears Karen and Lucas talking about it. And, oh, what a way to find out. <laughs> like, right. no one was directly telling him. He just happened to show up as they're talking about it. And that's how he figured it out. So I kind of wonder how that whole conversation would have went down if they, like, made a point to go to Keith and tell him. Which, which I mean, they were at his place. They were trying to find him and talk to him. But I don't know. It's, I I can imagine, like, I think Keith has a right to be upset. Yeah. I don't know if he should be throwing, um, I don't, whatever he was throwing <laughs> and breaking Dan's window. Yeah, it was like a rim or whatever. <laughs> But uh, he definitely has a right to be upset. For sure. And it was just, uh, and, and Dan, like how he confessed to it, Dan said, no, no, I would never do it. I would never do something like that. You're my brother. And then he's like, <laughs> of course I did. What a jerk. It's just so evil and terrible. So Keith punches him in the face. Dan deserved that. Yeah, and it was, it also, like, just said, uh, just unpack this a little bit. This was right after uh, Dan said, uh, like, oh, so in order to find jewels, you should check the yellow pages under W for whore. Oh, wait, she's not that bright. Better check under H. And I'm like, I get we're supposed to hate Dan, and I get, like, okay, this is a villain delivering a line, but, like, where is this coming from? The jewels isn't that bright. I don't know. <laughs> When did we ever have that, like, established that Jules isn't a bright person? Never. (laughs) (laughs) I just just feel like that line is just, like, kind of unnecessary and stupid. Dan is stooping to a new low just by degrading Jules, basically. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, like, under W for whore, I'm like, okay, Dan, you're pretty shitty, but you should check it under H. I don't know. For some reason, that line like really got to me. I'm like, why did you have to say that? There's so many better things you could be saying. I agree. Like, I think Jules is pretty smart. <laughs> you know? It was totally unnecessary. And yeah, I think Keith should have punched Dan. I think he deserved that. Um, things got really heated, though, when he's breaking the window. And then he says to Dan, congratulations, Dan. I got nothing left to lose, but you do. Remember that. Mm. Oh, boy. What does that mean? That's only going to instigate Dan, you know? For sure. This is awful. It's terrible. Um, Also, I, you know, just just uh, to go back a little bit to Keith's anger. Uh, it, like, I feel like, okay, yeah, he's mad at Lucas. I feel like that's a little bit deserved. I'm like, why is he so mad at Karen now? Karen literally just found out at the wedding. And, like... <laughs> I feel like it's more awkward for Karen to come to Keith and say, hey, uh, by the way. I agree. I was wondering why he was so upset with Karen, because Karen, she only knew for such a short time. And the only opportunity she had to go to Keith was like the wedding was beginning. So I I don't really understand his anger, but I guess he just had to be angry at someone. Yeah, it's just an excuse to get Keith to leave town. (laughs) 
And that whole That's what it seems like. that whole scene with Lucas and Keith at the end was like heartbreaking because obviously mm-hmm. they're they're like father and son basically. And Keith says basically he said to Lucas like I'm upset that you didn't tell me. And things were left like very um unfinished. Like he basically drove off and you don't really know like what's going to happen next with their relationship. Keith Mm -hmm. and Lucas. Their relationship is broken a little bit. Hopefully they can add that. But Keith is gone right now, it seems. Yeah, he's going to search for the truth. (sighs) Which, I don't really know how you could trust Jules after that. Yeah, it's complicated. It really is. And what the truth, like, I don't know how you could get it from her and know it's the truth. It's real. This is so complicated. Oh my gosh. (laughs) For sure. So many liars. Are we ready to talk about Felix and Anna? Oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. Um, One thing that I feel like we should talk about is uh, on a recent episode of Drama Queens, uh, you and I figured this out. I feel like a lot of listeners of Drama Queens found this out. Uh, Michael Copod is a Filipino heritage. I know. That was shocking. And the fact that, like, his uh, first episode of the series, he's uh, being asked to speak Spanish. And so, like, uh, Sophia Bush was relaying that, how, like, you know, she she was really uncomfortable with how racist Brooke had to be toward Felix. And then there's Michael Copon, who was like, well, I'm not even Hispanic, and I'll be asked to speak Spanish. And I'm like, is it just because he has he has a dark complexion? They're asking him to play uh, Hispanic. So that's complicated, I think. it's It's just wrong. That is really wrong. And I had no idea. Because we had this whole conversation about diversity earlier this season, and I feel bad that we we didn't bring that up then. Like, we should have known, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I had just never looked up that actor to see that and, like, his background. It was an oversight on our part. Yeah, it definitely was. But it's interesting to know and to have that pointed out to us right now. Um, And we point that out because this is Michael Copon's last episode of the series. Yeah. And Felix says, which, um... I gotta say, this is this is gonna be really surprising coming from me. I think this is Felix's most interesting episode. What? Right? Okay. <laughs> I was nervous to talk about this. The fact that he is portrayed as a straight-up villain. But not only a villain, but like a villain with motivations for his actions. Like the fact that he's like, oh, I did it to protect my sister. Yes, blatantly homophobic and yes it's terrible what he did of course but like i feel like that's a more interesting thing to portray and i think this is probably the the only time i was actually interested in felix that's interesting that you brought that up because i wasn't thinking of it like in that way at all yeah what were you thinking of it ed his scenes were so terrible like i'm not talking about the acting (laughs) i'm talking about just like the character and how he treats his sister and how he he tur- after Anna comes out to him, he turns away from her. And that's basically like the last we see of him other than walking, walking in the hallway and looking at the locker. Our last moment was him turning away from his sister when she shared that important information. And it's like, whoa, like they went there and it's it that's yeah. messy. That's real messy to to have your last episode for your character arc is yeah. complete. And I gotta say, like, it almost makes me a little bit sad because, like, uh, I, I would, I don't know. 
I would like to think in a really perfect world that Felix came around and ended up accepting his sister today. And, like, and he does, like, love her and support her. After, like, you know, after he's taken some time away. Like, he went to military school, realized, like, you know what? I was a complete shit. And then came back to his sister and realized, like, you know what? Yeah, I was a complete shit. I am sorry. I would like to think that. So it is kind of sad that we don't get to see that story fully realized. Or maybe he just never accepts her. And you know what? Like, I feel like that's also an accurate reflection of reality as well. In which case, like, okay, that's that's great that they portrayed that too. It's I, I can see both ways in regard to that. What do you think the message is that the writers were trying to portray here? With ending his story, like, I think they must have knowingly wrote this as his last episode. To just show that there are shitty people out there, which is kind of sad. In a way, it's kind of unlike One Tree Hill, honestly. Because One Tree Hill would usually wrap something up. There'd be some redemption or something, (laughs) you know? Like, is there any regret as he's walking out of the hallway, looking at the locker? I mean, I guess you could... You could say that there is some regret there. Maybe there's a moment of, like, reflection where he realizes, like, oh, shit. Like, this is all a result of my own actions. Because throughout the entire episode, he's gaslighting Anna. He's saying, like, you, I did this to protect you. And then, you know, you uh, you turned me in. Because Anna's the one who turns him into Principal Turner. And, like, maybe, like, that was the moment, like, when he looks at the locker and realizes, like, you know what? No, I caused this. Because there is a moment on his face where he's... It just seems like it's a moment of self-reflection for him, you know? Yeah. So I want to hope that that was a moment of self-reflection and that he would mend things with his sister. But it's it's really unfinished. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe maybe they were planning to bring Felix back at some point and they just never did. There's not, there's, you know, I mean, full disclosure, I never think, like, looking at the future of the series, I don't think there is a good organic time to ever bring Felix in. But it is kind of... It is sad, I think. And there's one other storyline in the series, which I can't say because it's a spoiler, but that is unfinished. I feel like this one and there's another one. I can share it in the spoiler segment. If you think about yes. it, I think you could figure it out. Okay. It's another okay. character. <laughs> All right. Ow. Mm, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll chat. chat. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of any others. And it feels, yeah, it feels unlike One Tree Hill, but it's a different choice. Right. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think we had to see Felix as the the villain, like being portrayed as the villain, clearly being Mm -hmm. portrayed as that. You know, there wasn't like any room for interpretation here. (laughs) He he was awful and homophobic and unaccepting of his sister. And the list goes on. Yeah. So you were not expecting me to say he was interested in this episode. No, I did not. I was like, oh boy, are we ready for this? Because like, Jeremy. Of course, like, he pissed me off. Of course. Like, he absolutely, like, he made me so angry with like how he treated Anna. Like, it is, it is terrible. But like, we're supposed to feel that way. Yeah. As opposed to like earlier in the season when we're supposed to like him, despite him being so shitty. I I like the fact that they wrote this character and even Michael Copon's acted in this, in this whole episode too. Like, I I like that we hated him. For once, I like that we hated him, you know? And that's, I guess, what there was supposed to be with this character. Like, that's how we were 
in the end supposed to feel? Yeah. Also, I gotta I gotta wonder, um <laughs> to go to some of his homophobic comments. He says, Is Velma picking you up in the mystery machine? And it just made me wonder. The past few years in memes, Velma and Daphne have become sort of like a, a meme in the queer community. Really? How they were both like how they're like kind of like a, a couple, I guess you could say. So it makes me wonder was this because of one tree hill? <laughs> yeah, that is a weird uh, coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm just wondering, did like did Felix predict the future of the internet here? <laughs> you're giving him too much credit. <laughs> and granted, I get it. You're using it in a homophobic way, yeah, like yeah. you know, like us, us on gay Twitter. We're like using it in an empowered way. Like, yeah, Velma, Velma and Zaffany. I mean, come on, they're wearing the same colors as the lesbian flag. Come on. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> um. One of the lines I thought was uh, very chilling now, if we're going to talk about some of his more homophobic lines, when he's, he says to Anna, better her than you, talking about Peyton. And that's just a very triggering line, I think. You know, the fact that he was trying to deflect, like, Anna being gay and putting that, putting the attention on Peyton is just so wrong on so many levels. Yeah. Like, you're making stuff up. Like, you you don't know, and you, you're making things up. It's so cringeworthy. Yeah, and unbeknownst to him, he's making Anna afraid to be who she is. And I imagine he's, you know, the, the, there has to be other queer kids at Tree Hill High, too. Yeah. It's making them afraid to be who they are. There, there are so many things that he's just not realizing, and it's really fucking terrible. I don't know how he could look at his sister after she told him that and walk away. I mean... yeah. How could you do that to to someone that you love? I mean, it's fine to be shocked. That's an honest reaction. You can be shocked. But to turn away from her? I know. But unfortunately, that's really what uh that's really what happens to some people. And I feel like it's a uh, I I really wish I could like, you know, offer a little bit more perspective on this, but the fact that it's a it's a Latino family, so I feel like there's probably some, like, cultural issues that can be unpacked there that I'm not fully equipped to really talk about as somebody who is, like, Latino and but doesn't really, like, hold, like, a strong Latino identity. So, like, I don't know if I'm somebody who can really talk on that perspective, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, that's a good, hmm. that's a good point. And that's yeah. never unpacked... Love Victor. If you want to, if you want to unpack that, watch Love oh, Victor. Oh yes. <laughs> listeners, like yes. seriously, if you want to see a better version of like that story, like please watch Love Victor season two specifically. Really dives into that. I love that show. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and I love how they dive into that. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. so amazing. Yes, For yes. Sure. Go watch that if you want more information. <laughs> because yeah, this show. I mean, we've spoken before how. They don't dive into their heritage at all. Mm-hmm. Like, that is never discussed. But they have Felix speak Spanish in his first episode. Mm-hmm. That was, like, the only thing. That's me being facetious. <laughs> Just to clarify. Yeah. Um, a few other things I want to chat about, though. So, we notice in this episode, Anna says she is gay. As opposed to being bisexual. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where I read this. I really wish I had a source. But I remember reading about this back then that apparently they wrote it as they they had her say that she was gay in this scene because the writers thought it would be more powerful to say that she is gay than say she is bisexual, which 
I don't know. I feel like that's just, you just, just, just don't, just no. <laughs> huh. But as you can see, like, there's like, this is an issue of bisexual erasure right here. Yeah. And I think I just said that Anna was gay because she said it in the scene. So. Yeah. And you're probably just thinking to yourself, yep. like, oh, she says she's gay. Like, you're taking yeah. her word for it. Like, and who knows? Like, maybe she could have came to the realization that she is gay in, like, the past few episodes as opposed to bisexual. That is a possibility. That's an organic journey you could go on in your coming out experience. But mm-hmm. that's never said explicitly on the show. If she were to say, like, oh, I, I am actually gay, I feel like, all right, this, this makes sense. But it just seems like they flip-flop a lot to... Her being bisexual and her being gay. Whatever's convenient for the story, you know? I was going to say the same thing, that they flip-flop between the two. And it's it's actually, like, when you think about it, it's very confusing. How in one episode they're saying bisexual, and then another they're saying gay. And what are we... Yeah, how are we supposed to identify Anna? I don't, I don't know. I know a lot of people, even back then, a lot of, like, uh, queer uh, viewers... To not really take kindly to that because they're, you know, everybody's always wondering is she bisexual? Mm-hmm. Is she gay? Like, which one is it? You know? Also, just a story time for a second on a little side tangent. So, I actually remember watching this episode the, during the summer between seasons two and season three. So, like, the WB would play repeats. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I had a friend who, like, she loved One Tree Hill so much, and she kept telling me about it. So I said, like, oh, let me just, uh, let me just turn this on. I turned it on, like, maybe, like, the last ten minutes. And I remember, like, watching that scene where Anna comes at the Felix, so I'm, like, wondering, like, what has happened in this show? And to clarify, this was before I came out myself, even came out to myself, you can say. So, like, watching that scene, I'm like, what is happening on this show? So... I remember I tuned in the following week. I actually watched the whole episode, but I kept, like, flipping flicking back and forth between the channels because I didn't want, like, my parents to see what I was watching. I think I flicked back between One Tree Hill and, like, something on Nickelodeon or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Just to show, I'm like, I don't want anybody to see me watching a show about gay people, you know? So, just a very specific experience of me, like, watching this episode, like, relating to it. That must have been really powerful in that moment for you to yeah. see that. It's funny that you remember seeing it for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Like, th- that was, like, my first experience, like, I remember with One Tree Hill. I'm like, w- like, like who, is th- who is this girl? Like, she's saying that she's gay? I'm like, wait a minute. Like, gay people are on TV? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, representation matters. It really does. And it's gotten a lot better than this representation. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I don't blame Brooke for breaking up with Felix. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that part yet, but... <laughs> she was not taking any of his shits. Nope. Not at all. Ugh, it was so good. Like, you know, I, I wrote this, out, this quote down as an honorable mention. I cannot believe you'll be such a hateful scumbag as to write slur anywhere, let alone on my best friend's locker. <laughs> yeah, she went in there, it's like, whoa. That is... True, true allyship, my friends. And this is just a reminder to, like, you know, all cisgender straight women. If your boyfriend is homophobic and you're still with him, you are not an ally. Just just remember that. Be like Brooke Davis. Break up with your homophobic boyfriends. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> just gotta say that. Um, oh, another thing I noticed, too, like, she refers to Felix as Grand Wizard's next-door neighbor, which is a reference to the... Uh, one of the leaders of the KKK. Wait, what was this? Yeah, she says, I didn't know I was Grand Wizard's next door neighbor. The Grand Wizard is a leader of the KKK. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. I didn't catch that line. So yeah, it was just, uh, I think it's just like a subtle reference to show, like, hey, Felix is so hateful. And yeah. And I like that they didn't show that Brooke was like unsure of what to do. It's like she basically finds mm-hmm. out from Peyton and then was it the next scene or like shortly thereafter, she's just running up to Felix pissed off. Yeah. Oh, it is the next yeah. scene. It's the very next scene when she does that. So it just shows like I love that Brooke did that. I feel like I don't remember tuning in for that scene specifically, but I, I feel like if I were to see that back then when I was still like going through my own like coming out journey, I feel like it would have been very powerful to see that. I'm like, oh, look, there are people who all defends like LGBTQ people. Yeah, that's really great. But Danielle Alonzo, her acting and her coming out scene was so, so good. Yeah, she's really good. I'm sure she'll be on Drama Queens, and I'm eager to hear what her thoughts are. (laughs) I hope so, because chef's kiss. (laughs) But but I guess uh, bye-bye, Felix, just as you were starting to get interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not too sad to see him go. (laughs) Not too sad, because there's great things to come, but, you know, come on, it's... It was just funny. I wasn't expecting to take that away from this episode. I'm like, Felix is actually interested here. This is the first time where I'm like, he's... I'm not saying he's cool, but, like, he's like he's like a Dan character who you could love to hate for the first yep. time. Yep. No, I see... I totally see what you mean by that. And right. I'm glad you brought that up, because I... That wasn't my initial thought <laughs> at all. <laughs> you were probably like, how are we going to navigate this coming out journey? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, Felix is a great villain. <laughs> Are we ready for the another really big storyline? Moving from somber to more somber. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nathan goes to visit Haley, and we get a lot of cute flashbacks from their relationship as Nathan's on the road. Let's say we have a scene where uh, they're in the shower together. We see a scene where Haley is crying because she misses her parents, so Nathan and Haley end up going to Atlanta. We see a scene where they're recording a voicemail. Um, and I just gotta say, like, speaking of which, like, I'm really sad that, like, Caitlin, you and I have grown up in an era where, like, people really don't have landlines, because I really would have loved to have created a very, uh, <laughs> creative voicemail like that with my partner, <laughs> where, you're, where you're like, we can't answer the phone right now because we're having sex. <laughs> like, I really, I'm really sad we missed out on that. Now we only have cell phones, and we just have to be like, we only answer for ourselves and whatnot. hmm Yep. But anyway. <laughs> that was a really cute scene, though. <laughs> it was adorable. Um, and then the last one is when Nathan carries Haley through the apartment door. It's right after their wedding. And you hear they're playing that song, uh, Lion the Sound by Trespasser William, which is the same song that played when they got married. I thought that was a really cool throwback. So, yeah. I just like I just love those flashbacks. I know. That was in episode 201, mm-hmm. that song. Yeah, And I, I really like how they place that song in these scenes, too, because we mm-hmm. see them walk into their apartment and the flowers or the white flowers are all on the floor. Yeah. And they go to their quote unquote honeymoon suite. <laughs> yeah. And if you're if you're really like paying attention to like you hear that song start to play and that's when you realize like, oh, they're flashing back to their wedding day. Yeah. You know, if you keep track of the music like we do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. But yeah, I love those flashbacks as it just shows them being happy because we haven't gotten that. Things have been hard, so it's it was kind of nice to see that reminder of when things were good. And things that we haven't even seen as viewers. Yep, and we haven't seen 
the two characters in the same room for a while. Yeah, that's hell. I wasn't even thinking about that. So we got to see a bunch of scenes, even though they were in the past. We did get to see these little bites of memories that Nathan had. And I, I have to say, I really like the directing and the editing of the whole sequence. And it comes back to it a few times of, of Nathan driving and then he's remembering these memories. And I don't know. I thought it was really beautifully done. Mm-hmm. I think it it spoke a lot to what Nathan was feeling and it kind of built that anticipation of him going to see Haley. And you get to see how he was reminded, like there's been all this tension and anger, but like he's being reminded of the start of the relationship and why they were together. Like the reason, the real reason they were together to begin with and his true feelings yeah. for Haley. So I, I really think that whole sequence is, was a highlight of this episode. Yeah, for sure. Because I think it's one of those things where you just have, like, a lot of hope where, like, you realize, like, all the anger that you're having toward your partner. Like, it's not, it's not real. Yeah. It was in the moment. Yeah. And this is, like, when you are happy and these are the things you should remember. But, granted, like, things don't go very well by the time he actually does get to see Haley. This is really heartbreaking. Like, really heartbreaking. And it's like one of those scenes where you see in a TV show, and it's just so frustrating. Because it's like, this is not how I wanted it to play out. Excuse me. Excuse me. I want a redo. Because Nathan says all these beautiful things to Haley, and that he he still loves her. He wants to be with her. He wants to give their marriage. Like, he doesn't want to give up on it. And then Haley's response... I mean, she loves him still, and it is clear that she does. Then she says, like, we rushed into things. Yeah, and she says, I don't know if I can be who you want me to be. And then that's what Nathan assures her and says, like, all I want you to be is my wife. But Haley is still, like, feeling, like, all these conflicted feelings right now. And I get it. This is so complicated. It is. It's heartbreaking at the same time. And I don't know. I don't know if there is somebody's side you can really take. I don't know. I, I feel like when someone comes to you and says those things, ugh, it's like you want Haley to say them back and mean them and want to agree with Nathan. As a viewer, that's what I want to see so badly. <laughs> because it, it, oh, took, yeah, for sure. it took a while for Nathan to get to that point of like moving from anger to like wanting to repair their relationship. And yeah. and he, he gets there and then Haley's not in the same... She's just not in the same headspace as him right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to go back against what I said earlier about how saying like, oh, these these fields of anger aren't real. You have to remember the times when things were good so you can still stay with them. But I feel like this is also like the inverse too because it's like, okay, you remember all these happy memories, but like, what about right now? Things have obviously changed right now at this current moment. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do now? So I feel like both of those things can be true if you were to apply it to real life. I also think this scene really shows how Haley has kind of changed. The Haley before, like, I wouldn't... It almost... This scene almost seems out of character from what we know of Haley previously. Yeah. Did you uh, notice um, when she first comes backstage and she sees Nathan, she's wearing a cardigan. The cardigan is handed off of her shoulder. And then, like, uh, she sees Nathan. She's shocked to see Nathan at first. And then when Nathan comes up to her, she pulls the cardigan back up to her shoulder. Did you notice that at all? Or am I just speaking French to you right now? You know, I, I did notice that without no, without <laughs> noticing it. <laughs> I know what you mean. 
Yeah, it, it, it makes you it makes you wonder, like, you know, like, what were they trying to say with that? Like, you know, is she a little bit more loose when she's not with Nathan? And then when she pulls the cardigan back up, she's more conservative. Is that who Haley really is? So I feel like there's like a moment where you're where you're trying to wonder. Hmm, that's a good point. Who is the real Haley here? I don't know. And like her, just to go back to her physical appearance, she looks so much different. She's made up. Her hair is straightened, and her hair just looks so different. So different. Yeah. And she's wearing a low cut top, like showing some cleavage. Yeah, I got. Yeah. She never wore that kind of clothes before. It was always more, I guess, conservative. Right. This was an edgier Haley, for sure. Yeah. But is she, like, putting her... When she put the cardigan back up on her shoulder, is she putting her guard up? I feel like I feel like there's so many things that could be said about this. Like, it, it could be problematic, or it could be, you know, something really deep and meaningful. I don't know. I think that's a good interpretation. Yeah. It's like, she doesn't want Nathan to see her in this way. Maybe he also doesn't want to him to see her being happy because i guess this has got to be complicated for her because she's probably really happy on the tour as well while also missing nathan but like you know if she's being happy right now like it does she doesn't want it to make it seem like she doesn't miss nathan it's she's got to be feeling a lot right now and i hope that with her tour salary she can afford a therapist (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh just like nathan nathan should be going to therapy too okay (laughs) Yeah, Nathan has even more to go to therapy about than Haley does. Way more. Gosh. With his upbringing and everything and his dad and oh gosh. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) Oh boy. Are we ready for this coda? Hell yeah, we are. (laughs) (laughs) So the song is What Are You Afraid Of by West Indian Girl. This is a very haunting coda. And the first One Tree Hill cut I ever experienced, because I watched the end of this episode, I remember thinking, like, yo, this is pretty deep. <laughs> but anyhow. Wow. We start off with uh, Peyton's bedroom, and we say Jake and Peyton are hugging. Then we flash to Haley's concert. Haley goes backstage to see that Nathan is gone. Oh, that was so sad. <laughs> I know. Then we go to Lucas's, which is now Brooks' bedroom. And then that's when Karen lays down the ground rules, and then Brooks, Brooke, blah, 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 Brooke hugs her <laughs> because it's just like having a real mom. So cute. Then we see Keith's car. Keith packs up the car and voices his disappointment to Lucas. When asked if he would come back, Keith says that for the first time in his life, he's not sure if he has anything to come back for. Yeah, that was the line. Uh, I'm glad that we have that written here. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> because <laughs> that was a line that really, oof. it's like Keith is saying to Lucas that he doesn't know if he wants to come back to him and his life here. It's really sad. You have plenty to come back for, Keith. Come back. Come back for us. But then we go to the Tree Hill High hallway, where Felix packs up his locker, gazes upon Peyton's... L- I can't say words it's today, okay. Caitlin, apparently, and I'm keeping this all in. I hope you know that. <laughs> he gazes upon Peyton's painted over locker in a moment of self-reflection, as we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, and then leaves. Then we see Dan Scott Motors. Dan is putting something up in the ceiling in his office, but oh, Lucas is watching him. Oh, snap. Chad's face during that scene, and I remember thinking this back in 2005 when I was uh, watching this episode in reruns, his face is so sexy, like that (laughs) anger 
he has in his eyes. I remember thinking to myself, like, this uh, Chad McAmery guy is pretty, is pretty attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice the look. I don't know. There's just something very hot about how he looks and his eyes are off to the side. He's so pissed. I mean, everything about him is basically really hot. (laughs) 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 So I agree with you, even though I don't know the look. But anyway, that like particular phase like unleashed like a little bit of an awakening for me, I guess you could say, in 2005. Yes. But anyhow. I love it. So, and finally, we go backstage at Haley's concert and then it also flashes between Nathan driving and we see both of them are looking at their wedding rings. Haley puts her wedding ring in her guitar case and then Nathan puts the wedding ring in a compartment in his car and it's really sad that both of them are removing their wedding rings at the same time. It really seems like it's over. That's how they're feeling right now. I know they're just not on the same page. <sighs> And Nathan really should have stayed so that they could have talked. Because she was, she jumped on stage. Yeah. Like, they only spoke for a few minutes. Yeah, she did say, like, I'm really happy you came, Nathan. And she kept hugging him. Like, she had to go on stage, you know what I mean? Like, th- things are complicated right now. She had to rush off. I really wish Nathan did come back so the two of them could really, like, talk out their shits. But it just seemed like he rode her off so quickly. Yeah, he did. This is also another frustrating part of it. You just want to scream at the TV set. Mm-hmm. Stay, Nathan. Just talk it out. <laughs> oh, just one of those situations. Like I always talk about, like if the characters just fucking talk to each other, things would be okay. Yep. Exactly. But nope. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode. Let's talk about our favorite things. What was your favorite quotes? So I really loved um, Brooke's quote at the beginning of the episode, and it's just a simple oh, one. Yeah? I really liked being the girl behind the red door. And then my honorable mention is what Karen says to Keith. Okay. Dan is a monster, but he gave me Lucas. And despite his worst intentions, I have the one person I love most in the world. Maybe you can too. And talking about Jules. So I I just thought that was like a really poignant quote. What about you? Um, I want to give an honorable mention to when when Nikki is asking... The Brooke and Peyton where Jake is. And then Brooke's just like, Phoenix! <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> More so the delivery than the quote itself. Yep. But my actual favorite quote is right after Felix tells Anna to shut up. And then Anna says, no, I won't shut up. You think I've been running from this? I haven't. I have been carrying it around. And if you think what she's been doing is protecting me, then you're wrong. You have been making me afraid to be who I am. Well, I won't be afraid anymore. Now you know the truth. I'm gay. So, do you still have my back? Wow. Yeah, that's a real powerful one. And then obviously Felix didn't have her back as he walked away. And then you see the tears streaming out her face. And it's just, it's gut-wrenching. But it's also very, very powerful to see Anna really stand up for herself. Mm -hmm. Because she hasn't done that with Felix previously. She does it for the entire episode. Like, Anna's arc is so, so amazing. Also, too, like, we didn't talk about this. But when Anna told Peyton about how uh, it was Felix who, who wrote the slur on her locker... Peyton's like, you know, he owes you an apology, too. Like, yeah, he uh, he wrote it on my locker, but he was talking about you. And then Anna says, I know. And I just love that sense. It's, it's such a subtle moment, but she has a strong sense of self right there. 
where she realizes like you know what this is a hate crime against me whereas i feel like she didn't really have that moment of realization before you definitely get to see anna's confidence we love to say it so go anna but what was your favorite musical moment (laughs) so i loved lie in the sound by trespassers william and we talked about that already Oh, okay (laughs) (laughs) with the nearly scenes and the stuff after the wedding and just like the whole montage of it all it was a nice little callback. It too. was. Like, I remember when things were good. <laughs> and it's like a beautiful song, really. That song's haunting, too. And then my honorable mention would be The Coda. What Are You Afraid Of by West Indian Girl. Well, The Coda is my favorite musical moments. Excellent. Because Chad looks really sexy. <laughs> when he's looking up at Dan putting something in the CLN. <laughs> That's your reason. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good. It's good for other reasons too. Like the whole entire code, I think it's like beautifully shot. They cut it, they edited it, everything. It's great. What's your rating? <laughs> um. So I give it four out of five red doors. I went with the whole theme today. <laughs> I loved everything oh, God, about the red door. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't it a five out of five? Put me on the spot here. You know, I always want to do that. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a five episode, five out of five, has to give me some kind of feeling like, oh, it was so good. And this episode, I think it was decent. I liked some of the storylines more than others. Like, I liked the Haley and Nathan part a lot. And I loved how Luca surprised Brooke. And the Felix stuff. I mean, I love how we unpacked it, but it's really like, ooh, gut-wrenching, honestly. Mm-hmm. You give it five out of five? I give it five out of five breakups with your homophobic boyfriends. <laughs> oh, goodness. Because, as you were saying, like, five out of fives gives you a feeling. This episode gave me feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I could ever really embrace that. I feel like I'm focused so much on the Felix and Anna stuff, but specifically the Anna stuff, I should say, that I feel like this episode will just always be formative for me for those reasons. And I don't think I could give it a lower score. <laughs> That's totally understandable. It's a feeling I can't explain. I I don't know what to tell you. Like, it just has to be like, oh, I just loved it so much. Yeah, I gotcha. But yeah, this is one of those episodes where I'm like, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overall, it was it was a really good episode. It wrapped up storylines and all all that jazz. For sure. But bye-bye, Felix, and hello to Anna coming into herself. Love it. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Ellenich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing you.
Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. Okay, so I remember what I was going to talk about earlier. When uh, we were talking about Michelin McGuire, the character who moved into Brooke's house, who's to say that she couldn't have been Rachel? Oh, that's interesting. You know what I mean? It, it didn't have to be Rachel, per se, but like, who says she couldn't necessarily fill that role, you know? But huh. obviously, the actress didn't do much to impress them, so <laughs> they didn't do anything with her, you know? I, I kind of just wonder if that was the intention, like, they didn't know what they were doing in season three yet, that they were bringing in a new actress yet. I'm sure they didn't. Yeah, but you know, it almost makes you wonder if, like, but, yeah. like if Michelle McGuire did impress them, could they have said, like, hey, sure. like, why don't you, uh, why don't you come in, play this role, you know? I just have the impression that it was, like, a one-off thing, like, they were just gonna you know, come in. You know, kind of like what they did with, uh, kind of like what they did with, uh, with Glenza. Like, Glenda, you see, like, she's very conservative in, like, season three, and then you see her in season four, and she's, like, you know, she's basically being, like, the ultimate emo chick. Yep. <laughs> Long story short. You know, it just shows, like, they use that actor to, like, essentially fill a different role. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The Starlet, it was supposed to launch a career-defining role on Pun Tree Hill. <laughs> Unfortunately, that role was not career-defining. So... <laughs> They actually use those words, a career-defining role? I'm getting that from I'm getting that uh, information from a variety of sources, IMDb, Wiki, like a, a few other places. But it wouldn't surprise me if I haven't watched the show. Anybody who did watch the show, please email us and let us know like how it was pitched. But they were supposed to have like a deal with the WB, and obviously that didn't go anywhere either. Who knows, maybe she shot a few pilots, and the pilots just didn't get picked up? I don't know. But obviously, the starlight really didn't help launch her career. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And you make so. a really valid point that, that that could have been Rachel. Like, they could have reused that character. And mm-hmm. speaking of Rachel, that was the storyline that I was going to mention that's, that was left unfinished. That's what I thought. Yep. <laughs> I can't think of any others, really. Her and Brooke adds, like, being completely... They're just enemies. And that's sad for me. That broke my heart. I know. The thing, you know, like season seven, like this is her last, this is her last episode. And then like, you know, I remember going into season nine, I kept thinking like, oh, I really hope Daniel Ackles comes back. And Daniel Ackles never came back. Why did they do that? What was the choice there? Like, why couldn't they have made amends? Why did they leave it like that? Well, to be fair, like, I think maybe they had a vision that maybe Daniil would come back, but I don't think Daniil wanted to come back. I just don't understand because she did come back after a while. Yeah, she came back for season seven, but like, I, but I feel like, uh, you know, her and Brooke like being at odds, essentially, it almost makes you wonder if they were planning to bring, because c- come on, if Rachel came back for season nine, Rachel and Brooke would have made amends. They totally would have. They would have ended up as friends. It just didn't happen that way because Daniel did not want to return to a toxic work environment. And I get that. I mean, I get that too. So that's probably why it happens. Like, when she left on season seven, I don't think that was supposed to be the end for her. And I know she said that she came back for the season seven role. The only reason she came back is because her storyline was going to be with Paul Johansson and he was like a safe space that the creator wouldn't act out around him. Yeah, but I don't think season seven was supposed to be the end for her. Whew, I'm interested to rewatch that. It'll be sad to get to that episode 
I don't think I got into Rachel's episode knowing this is her last episode. You know? Really? You haven't rewatched season seven since? No, it's been a while since I watched season seven. Huh. So yeah, it'll be interesting to know, like, this is her last scene ever on the series. I feel like that'll be really sad to come to that realization. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen it since the whole series ended. I definitely mm-hmm. did a whole rewatch since then. But yeah, it, it's sad to know that. And I, I feel like, yeah, those are the two characters where it just feels kind of like, not that I wanted more from Felix, but it is left, does leave you hanging a bit. Yeah. Like, Felix, they could have brought back. I feel like there could have been opportunities to bring him back and they just don't do anything with him. And then Anna leaves soon, too, so. Anna leaves in the next yeah, episode. Yeah, is it the next episode? <laughs> yep. Who's to say that this is not our love? Does that mean anything to you, Caitlin? No. (laughs) Caitlin's looking at me with such a blank face, and I'm like, oh my god, episode 18 is so formative for me for various reasons, and I'm like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I guess you'll find out when you watch the next episode. (laughs) I don't think I recognize what you're saying now. (laughs) Okay, never mind. You're you're gonna watch the next episode, and you'll be like, oh, this is what they were talking about. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, but anyhow, um, I was about to say, if that was all of our sessions for the spoiler segment, that would have been good, a, a, such a good organic little transition, but it's not, because we still have to talk about Dan's secret. <laughs> you you put that there, so what are your thoughts? <laughs> so, knowing what we know now, that Dan was lying about everything, like his whole like uh, embezzlement deal or whatever, I still don't know what he was actually doing or anything. But, like, it was all fake. So it just makes you wonder, like, did he, like, put whatever he puts up in the ceiling, did he put that stuff up there hoping that Lucas would, like, be spying on him? Because knowing what we know now, that scene feels really weird. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I still don't get that whole whole storyline. I think it was poorly, poorly done. It's fake money that he... It's money, that's right. It's money that he puts up in the sale, and the money turns out to be fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of a weird scene now when you say that. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, in that Lucas, like, I would think Dan would be suspicious of Lucas, medication aside. And, in fact, Dan is suspicious because he's planning all this stuff in hopes that Lucas or I guess someone else. I don't know. I guess he knows he's being watched. And the point was to catch someone or Lucas in the act. What what does that prove <laughs> in the end? I don't really know. It almost makes you wonder if they were like making stuff up as they go along. Like maybe they were planning for Dan to be a massive criminal and then just decided in the season finale. But like, oh, but if he's a massive criminal, that means we can't keep him on the show, so Let's let's just completely mix that idea and get rid <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, you're right. Oh my god! <laughs> because it does come out of left field. You're like, okay, like why did we why did we stay in the storyline for so long, only to find out like it was all fake? Yeah, it, there's something that doesn't feel right about that storyline, like the writing of it, the way it's. I don't know the way it's all explained. It does feel like it was forced a bit. A little bit, yeah, but. We'll we'll just have to unpack it as we go down the lonesome road. 
which is season two, episode 18, which we will discuss next time. And taken from our OTH DVD box sets. Still on his road trip, Nathan stays overnight with Taylor. Others are choosing their own roads. Jake turns himself into the police. Anna tells her parents that she's gay. And Lucas plots to bring down Dan. Oh, they use the term gay in the DVD box sets. Interesting. <laughs> Bisexual erasure, even in the DVD box sets. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. But anyway, do you want to try to be super awkward with our will be seeing ya? Rather than doing the audio that's like pre-recorded every time? Do you want to sure. do it? Let's do it. Okay. We'll be seeing we'll ya. We'll be seeing ya. That was good. That was good. That was good. <laughs>